welcome to Anime Echoes. So we'll be going over the eighth novel of Boogie Pop. Now, let's begin. So a general synopsis for this is a boy named Hiroshi is talking with an old man. They're playing a game and Hiroshi beats him and as a result of this, an item is passed over to Hiroshi from the old man. The item's name is Embryo. After this, we see this man's body twisting into like an arc and blood starts spewing everywhere. At first I thought the embryo was a curse, but things get very complicated. So let's explore the following character, Toru, and what he goes through and his relationship with the embryo. So Toru is a fairly tall and built individual with long arms and he is 16 years old. We first meet him when he's on a date with Akiko. We're here, he has goals of wanting to become a samurai. Toru is also very interested in Nagi because her master is someone Toru idolizes. His name is Gen. Actually, I think it's pronounced Jen. Um, but yeah, moving on, we dive into a flashback about Toru's life, and this surrounds his first meeting with Jen. So Toru had this friend, and he gets messed up in some sick shit. His friend got into a drug addiction, and he was involved with the Yakuza. Toru couldn't take it anymore, and so he recklessly went to fight them. He actually ends up kicking the ass of 13 people, but not everyone. They place a gun to his head, and he resigns himself. For someone who's only 16, he's been through some shit. But before the enemy can pull the trigger, Jen, Nagi's teacher, appears with a pole and beats the goons. Toru was captured by this moment, and by this person. Jen says that he shouldn't focus on street brawls like he is now. He should focus on athletics or games, something with a clear win or loss. That he needs to have a clear distinction between winning or losing, otherwise he'll go on forever. This ends up being a theme of this novel, having that clear distinction and what it means to not have that. But this moment is etched into Toru's memories, and Jen declares that he's a samurai. It's what sparked Toru's goal of becoming like Jen, of becoming a samurai. Then Jen gets called away, um, something about leaving the country. Now jumping a bit, Nagi basically makes it so that Toru and Masaki fight. After he gets his ass kicked, the embryo starts talking to him. It says things like, people live to battle the possibilities within themselves, and this embryo's job is to draw out the dormant power within a person. The embryo is likened to a human heart. Inside, it fosters its own delusions. Even the person is unaware this is happening, and it is patiently waiting for the day to break out from its shell. A time bomb. With the right stimulus, this can happen. You can break out of your shell. Your change can occur. And what Toru has to do is kill this embryo to transform. It's almost like having to kill your former self in order to achieve a grander possibility, which triggers the evolution of the heart. The embryo is likened to a heart, it's not actually the heart, but it definitely has a connection to it. Now we find out in this moment that Toru is one of the fools who tends to focus only on one thing, a one-track mind. In his case, a one-track samurai mind. That's all he's been focusing on, and because of that, he's most likely to break out. Anyhow, Toru wakes, and he gets along with Masaki really quickly, despite them fighting. Now, jumping ahead... Toru and Masaki meet Akiko, and it seems like she's been in an accident. But it was bait. People start coming out and attacking them. Essentially what happens in this moment was really cool. Basically, Toru breaks out of his shell and shows his new powers off. 
he beats two guys with one swing. Masaki's reactions to Toru's newfound strength are just really great. Like, he considered the guy to be an amateur, and he had just defeated him. But now, this guy before him was showing strength and power that was way beyond what he remembered. Like, no one can increase in strength this quickly. And he didn't believe that Toru had been holding back against him. It just didn't feel like that. This felt like something different, something new, like a transformation. Though, right now, this does feel like kind of a quick fix. Is the author going to say something about hard work? At the time, I was thinking that it might have something to do with how people actually actualize their potential, and what it means to do that, and how the heart is unlocked in that process. Um, though this is mostly speculation. And Toru might be the front runner for such a theme. Either way, they end up having to escape from the police. Akiko's conversations with her embryo might also reveal more about the embryo, and in turn, uh, about what happens to Toru in this novel. Her one reiterates that the embryo is a voice from the heart, but that it is also nothing but a wave of energy and thus should be killed. It seems there is something inauthentic about the embryo, where it's just an echo, like something that's a facsimile of the real thing, but also authentic because it is directly connected to the heart. I get the feeling that from Akiko, um, and I get that feeling from Toru as well. It touches something real, but perhaps morphs into something different. And what does that mean for Toru? Now let's look further into Toru's new abilities. Toru says that he can see the lines for weak points. So that's his ability. He can see lines, and those lines represent something. In this case, it's weak points. We go into a really interesting backstory. It's about the person Toru looks up to, Jen, and his relationship with the sword. Basically, he had a fight with someone who uses the sword, and to Jen, it felt completely different from martial arts. With martial arts, there's rules, there's winning and losing. You'll recall that Jen advised Toru to pick something with a clear win and a clear loss. But with the sword, it's kill or be killed. It's more extreme, and because of that, it's far more fierce and intense. Those with the blade stay in that state, and because of that, martial artists, they can't stack up to them. Jen lost that fight. They're fighting in a different realm. The way Toru fights now, it's more like someone with a blade than someone with martial arts. Masaki believes that Toru may be headed down the wrong path. It's not the path he was inspired to become. Not the samurai path. Now let's jump to when Toru fights all the police, because the police went ballistic due to Motoki Senpai's countdown. They shoot at Masaki, and then get a shot in, and they fire at the car with Pearl and Toru, and it explodes. Luckily for Masaki, it was just a graze, but for Toru, he had already grabbed Pearl and leapt out of the car. Then he went on the attack. He could see all the lines of attack, and the lines that told him to dodge. And yeah, with the Paul slash bat, he went on beating policemen, one after the other. Toru tore through them with ease. Things get way more intense when the purple shirt guy appears, Fortismo. Toru, after feel, like fleeing for a bit, he sees the purple shirt guy, and then their fight begins. It's a pretty great fight. Things are really intense, and Toru's mostly flailing around. He's in a tough situation. He discovers the guy's powers is to manipulate space, which is pretty overwhelming, and despite being able to see the lines, eventually, he's about to get killed by Fortissimo. Fortissimo does find himself getting disappointed. Once emotional taunts work on Toru, 
but before Toru is about to get killed, Masaki comes in and decks Fortissimo in the face. It's the first person to land a punch on such a monster. But in the next instant, Masaki's blood pours out and he's presumably really badly hurt or even dead. Toru has him in his arms and he's screaming. It's a pretty intense scene. Um, but after this, Toru is interrogated, but nothing comes from that. In a cell, Toru is banging his head thinking about Masaki, and he thinks about his own path. He's had a reference for the path of the samurai, a single-minded focus, but he achieved it so quickly because of Embryo. I don't think he acknowledges Embryo's involvement per se, but he knows he accomplished his goal very quickly. He fears that maybe it was the it was a path that he never should have strove for. He remembers Fortissimo's icy words, I overestimated you. Toru's questioning his path, he's questioning his identity. He feels guilty because he really cares for Masaki. He screams knowing that he has to do something, anything. And that's where the 8th novel leaves us. So far, Toru seems to be the main character for this story. I do like his flashbacks with Jen um, quite a bit. Every time we go into one of those flashbacks, we know we're going to learn more about Toru and about his goal and how he's perhaps either going in the wrong direction or going in the right one. Not only that though, I really want to see in the next novel why it's so important for Toru to focus on something with a clear win and loss. I mean, it's explained to us that um, if he doesn't, he'll just go on fighting forever. But Jenny's trying to say that he'll be in a constant state of violence. I think, I think that's what he's trying to say. Um, like those who use the sword are in a state where it's kill or be killed consistently. Is finding something with a clear win and loss the thing that Toru needs to do so he can um, actually go down the path that he's supposed to or the path that's worth pursuing for him? And is Embryo pulling him away from that? Toru's under the impression that he accomplished his goal. Is that a false belief? Um, it felt, it felt kind of empty for him and he didn't really put up much of a fight against Fortismo, so he's obviously kind of questioning that as well. But he does also kind of believe that he achieved a level of strength that he, you know, he aspired to and he achieved it very quickly. What does it mean to actually be a samurai? And is it going to be different for each person? I can't help but keep going back to the heart. Like, what is the embry embryo sorry, doing? Is it distorting Toru's heart? And how does that relate to the path that he should be on? Overall, I really like Toru. He seems like a cool character. I'm keen to see how he changes and how he eventually overcomes, I guess, Fortismo. Now let's look into Matoki Senpei. Matoki Senpei, 15-year-old boy. He was at Toru's place and I think he was trying to steal some stuff. He knew if he went back, he would get his ass kicked by his parents. Though the police were at Toru's place because Toru was just on the run from the cops with Masaki. Matoki was on the roof, and he had seen Boogie Pop for a bit, so he was on edge, and then the police also made him uncomfortable. Because of this, his foot slipped and he fell down like two floors. He had a brain hemorrhage, blood was everywhere, but he ends up getting revived by Akiko's abilities. After this, Matoki's powers activate as well. He too gains an embryo, but his shell breaks very quickly. Some police tackle him, and it breaks, and he starts thinking to himself that it's all over and that he doesn't care anymore. The feeling of panic is sent to the policeman, and then the countdown begins, starting at 10 
ending at zero. And then they all run in a panic. Other policemen catch up to these guys, and then another countdown begins, starting at 100. It seems the power is almost like a plague. It spreads and spreads. The panic which just keeps getting bigger as well. Now after this, Matoki is just on his own. He's walking around. He feels like the world's against him. From his point of view, the police just attacked him intensely. And he's hungry. He throws something and it hits someone. And he now truly feels like the world really is against him. It's not the person who he hits who attacks him. A bunch of people are drawn in to get him as well. He really feels awful. But then his powers fully activate. He thinks to himself, it's the end of the world. It's all doomed. It spreads to everyone near him and the countdown starts from 10. And then everyone starts to panic and, you know, they're next to each other. So it keeps passing on. It keeps spreading. It's fucking chaos like everywhere. Thing is, Matoki is okay with this. In fact, he goes and he steals something. He looks at what is stolen and he's proud of himself. He thinks to himself maybe that the world is actually on his side. Seeing people run away from him actually made him feel better. Maybe things are actually looking up. But that doesn't last long. Boogie Pop appears. Now I love this line from Boogie Pop. He says that his powers are similar to that of Matoki's. Boogie Pop just appears, he's automatic, and he has no choice in it. The countdown is of the same ilk. It just kind of starts. But Boogie Pop sees him as an enemy, and you get the feeling he wants to kill him. I mean, he ends up slicing off both his ears, so that was kind of wild. I honestly didn't think that Boogie Pop would kill him, but by the end of this scene, I honestly wasn't sure. Matoki-senpai blames the eggs slash power for his current circumstance, so he's blaming the embryo. He knew deep down that his downfall was because of it. He knew what to blame, and then he loses consciousness. I honestly thought that Boogie Pop had killed him for a bit, but turns out he's good. He's with the police, and he makes the story about uh, something to do with the ramen that he stole. His parents are there. Uh, the same parents he thought that would kick his ass and curse him. But what really happens is that they all end up crying together. They're just glad that their child is safe. It's a very sweet scene, and you kind of hope that Matoki is able to change his life in some way. That this moment will actually change his trajectory. Boogie Pop is still looking on at him from a distance, and he's kind of wary. This is the moment Boogie Pop catches on to Embryo. So Matoki's storyline is an interesting one. It feels like a slight diversion from the main story, but his powers do feed into the main narrative. His countdown ability is the reason all the policemen fire on Toru, etc. I really do think this countdown ability is pretty cool. I think he can make things really chaotic, um, which I like. Overall, I hope in the next novel that he's still in the story. Maybe he's not because it does kind of feel like his personal arc is finished. I mean, yeah, he still has powers, but the author can make it so that they're removed in some way. But his tiny character arc of connecting with his parents emotionally does reach its conclusion. So I do wonder if this character was kind of here to just kind of create the chaos and to really showcase the abilities that Embryo can provide. And to make Boogie Pop like, aware of the Embryo situation. Alright, now let's move on to Akiko. So Akiko, um, we meet her with, a, with her date with Toru. Her brother arrives, and then the diamonds attacked as mentioned before. Um, Akiko is also hearing embryo voices just like Toru. 
Akiko gets the game from Hiroshi and then leaves to get answers from Toru. Akiko's embryo is also cut off from Toru's, which is interesting, so the embryo is not connected to other embryos. Now fast forward some time, and she's at Toru's place, but she sees Motoki Senpai, as mentioned before, and he's all bloodied up. Almost unconsciously, she activates her powers. She could see the boy's life leaving his body. She could literally weave it back into him. And that was her ability. After this, Akiko is arguing with her embryo. Basically, the egg is saying that she wasted her time. But she thinks this is something Nissan would do. This Nissan is like some sort of hero that she looks up to. But the reason the embryo says that she wasted her time isn't just him being mean. Um, She feels fatigued. It seems her powers tap into her own life force to revive someone. There's consequences. With her ability to revive people, she ends up thinking about Kyo Nissan's words. Turns out he died very young and his words are echoing, echoing in his head. In her head, sorry. Basically that everything has some sort of value and because of that, she doesn't break the egg. Despite the embryo telling her over and over again to do it, to kill it. Now moving forward, Akiko sees all the panic that was caused by Matoki Senpei's powers and she begins like crying. She feels powerless and she doesn't really know what to do. She has no guidance. And that's kind of where it ends. Akiko seems like an interesting character. Um, well, she gets interesting once, like, Kyoni-san is introduced and mentioned and when she gets her powers. I do think the idea that um, all things have value is interesting. Um, and Kyoni-san says something like that. Um, like, the embryo is saying to... Well, the embryo is saying to kill it so a transformation can happen. And then Akiko is denying the transformation by valuing the current form the embryo finds itself in. I do wonder what that means. Like, does that have something to do with the heart? Like, we value things when our hearts respond to them. And we know the embryo has some line to the heart. Is the act of killing the embryo the thing that distorts the heart in some way? And is Akika managing to preserve hers by not killing said embryo? I don't know. This is all speculation. But yeah, I'm excited to see more of Akiko and to, be, and to hear more about her relationship with this Kyo Nissan guy. Now let's jump to Masaki. So Taniguchi and Masaki. So we see Taniguchi when he's trying to get to Nagi's house. He believes that Orihata will be there and he's been really looking forward to seeing her. He gets suspicious of the door, so he goes through the back and what he sees is Toru. Toru immediately attacks him, but Taniguchi has no problem beating him. Taniguchi believes Toru's style to be one of an amateur. He calls Nagi, and um, Nagi basically says that he planned, she planned, sorry, for the fight to happen and teases him. Nagi tells him that Orihata Aya had no idea he was coming, and he thought she did. Nagi says that Taniguchi needs to give some space. Aya is still self-conscious of what others think of her. After hearing this, he kind of resigns himself and goes to check up on Toru. I totally get how Masaki was feeling then. He was so keen to see Aya and felt slightly betrayed that I didn't show, I mean, I didn't know that he was coming. You can tell it was like the thing he was like looking forward to. Now jumping a lot ahead, after travelling around with Toru, he ends up punching Fortissimo in the face, and almost dying for it, from it. Luckily, he doesn't die, but he's in horrible condition. Seeing Nagi's response was kind of chilling, like her hand shakes, and then Orihata he- overhears it, um, overhears the conversation, and hears that something horrible has happened to Masaki. So things are really bad right now. Now I liked seeing Masaki again. 
He's not one of my favorites, but it's good to see the kid. He also has a good dynamic with Toru. At first, he's the strong character that Toru looks up to. And he still is, um, but then he becomes the guy who's concerned about Toru's direction. Um, Now, either way, we know Masaki is selfless, but seeing him sacrifice himself for Toru and immediately getting shredded was chilling. Like the way the author writes that he didn't scream in agony or anything like that. It was just an instance, and then he's all bloodied up. And that's it. I'm guessing he'll be in a sick bed or something for most of the next novel. I'm also really interested in seeing Orahata Aya and Nagi's responses when they actually see with their eyes what's happened to him and see the state that he's in. So I'm keen to see where this goes. Now let's look into Fortismo. So we meet Lee, or Fortismo, right at the start. He's talking with Squeeze and he seems to be incredibly powerful. I mean, he's labelled as the strongest one. They were observing Spooky E's corpse, but he shows something kind of spectacular. He can remove ink from paper and then immediately disintegrate sorry, said paper. It's also implied that he makes the building crumble over Squeeze, so did Squeeze just die? Either way, our first intro into his space powers are really exciting. The next time we see him is when he goes after the Diamonds. A member of the Diamonds who gets arrested after getting his ass kicked by Toru um, is the person he's going after. This was right after Toru and Akiko's date. It's a pretty great scene, honestly. He knew that Lee was coming after him, that a terrifying beast would descend upon him. I love the way the scene was written, like how he had a stillness in his eyes. He felt fear, but he was also bracing for something because he knew he was coming. And yeah, Fortissimo appears and he wants to know everything about the embryo. The The guy quickly spills the beans, but something gruesome happens. The guy's blood vessel is basically ripped out of him and then he dies on the spot. At the time, I thought he was telekinesis type of thing, but I didn't consider, like, space manipulation. Now, Fortisma does arrive at Akiko's place, and Hiroshi is there. He takes care of a goon, like, very quickly, and he talks very politely to Hiroshi, very opposite to the personality that we've been shown, the strongest, ruthless killer. When When he hears from Hiroshi that his sister, Akiko, left, it perks his interest. Now, jumping ahead to a police department... Fortismo is in front of a policeman who is in disguise thanks to Pearl's abilities. He figures this out all very quickly. He tries to make it seem like he doesn't have any powers. He takes the guy's gun and it appears under his foot. But he gives like a logical explanation, which is he had already taken the gun and because the shooter subconsciously gets the gun the same way every time, he didn't notice. So now the gun was in his hands and then by putting the gun to the floor really quickly and tapping his foot on the gun, he makes it seem like teleportation. I really liked this scene because it threw me off quite a bit. I was very convinced that he had powers at this point, but then this made me think that there might be some reasoning and tactical stuff that he's doing every time he takes an action. Now, it was a bluff, but it's still a good way to like misdirect the reader. Though the misdirection doesn't last long. Actually, this misdirection also shows how calculating and smart Fortismo can be. But yeah, this misdirection doesn't last long because he does ground the gun to dust. Now jumping ahead, Fortismo finds himself in front of Toru. He's been incredibly excited to fight him. Someone worth a challenge. Now he was the strongest after all, and nothing posed a challenge. Um, he really was looking for some sort of opponent that would enliven him. Now the first thing he thought that was cool about Toru was the fact that he didn't just attack, he gauged his opponent. 
Fortisma couldn't stand people who just attacked out of nowhere without gauging. Toru passed the first test with that. But as we know, Fortisma gets disappointed in Toru by the end of it. And so his deep yearning for a worthwhile challenge is just not satisfied. In fact, he's very disappointed. There's some other stuff with Pearl, but we leave it here for Fortissimo. Overall, he's definitely something that's intimidating. I'm very keen to see him fight someone like Boogie Pop. I mean, Boogie Pop is an automatic entity, but he doesn't seem all powerful. I think Fortissimo makes for a good foil. Now, I'm hoping there's a bit more to his character, but at the same time, when I'm thinking about the grander narrative of this story so far, I think he does work as Toru's antagonist or something like that. I'm under the impression that this guy will be the guy Toru has to fight again. So I'm keen to see where this all ends up. Now, moving on to Pearl. We first meet Pearl when Akiko's brother, Hiroshi, comes out of nowhere to Toru and Akiko, and then turns out he's being tailed by some guys. At first, I thought he was like the Toa organization, but it turns out to be a group called the Diamonds. There's a girl, and she's the commander of said group, and her name is Pearl. Pearl is a shapeshifter. She's kind of like the head of the diamond team and she does shapeshift into Akiko and she uses um, like a motorcycle crash as bait to lure Masaki and Toru. Now Pearl um, was actually a Manticore-esque experiment from the Toa organization. She fled and formed basically her own group, a sort of like anti-Tower group and Toa are pretty hell-bent on um, destroying any Manticore replica. Now at the end, Pearl runs into Fortismo and is shitting herself. She does not want to be killed. He's the strongest from Toa, and she knows that she can't even lay a scratch on him. But she's able to play off being Akiko, especially with Hiroshi being there. Hiroshi being Akiko's actual younger brother, he's under the belief that it's Akiko right in front of him and not Pearl. So because he believes that, this adds enough credence for Pearl not to be killed like on the spot by Fortismo. Now overall, not much more to say about Pearl. Um, the part that stood out to me is her being a Manticore-like character. Now she's now next to Fortismo, so every time we see this character, she's always going to be on edge, so that's going to make for some good drama. So yeah, that's all I have to say about Pearl. Now just some tidbits that stood out to me or scenes that I enjoyed. I do wonder if um, Jen leaving the country matters and how much Jen making a book with Nagi's father, Kirima Seichi, matters. Um, we know a bit about Jen and Kirima Seichi's relationship from the sixth novel. They seem to trust each other, but yeah, keen to see more of Jen and Seichi. I uh, really enjoyed the moment where we hear that Akiko's been in an accident. Like her all of a sudden being in an accident made me do a double take. I was like, there's no build up to this. And it being bait and um, Akiko in this moment being Pearl were just really well done. It made things feel more chaotic and disorientating, which I like. Now, a line that I loved um, was written in the moment after the police um, shoot like crazy at Pearl, Masaki, and Toru. The policemen um, shoot because of a countdown, um, so his abilities, uh, Matoki Senpai's abilities. And the fact that they had fired due to the panic instead of properly following procedure, um, that was obviously something that they normally don't do. So this, they decided to basically double down and then kept going on the attack. They felt like they had no choice. There was no way to justify their actions, so they doubled down from like a place of fear. Um, so yeah, these parts kind of stood out to me, and I thought they were kind of clever and pretty cool. Now for some general thoughts. So there's a surprisingly a lot of fighting in this Boogie Pop novel. Like, a lot. 
And I didn't know how I felt about that at first. I was like, Boogie Pop normally doesn't have this much action. Luckily, the action or fighting does feel like it serves some sort of purpose. Like, if it didn't, I wouldn't really care for it. But since it's not action for the sake of action, it felt meaningful. Though personally, I did think Toru's fighting uh, with the police went on for a little too long. His fight with Fortismo was great because there was build up there. Um, but I did kind of get over the police fight. But yeah, I'm really interested in seeing how all this wraps up. The Imbria itself is probably my favorite thing about this novel. Like, it's a cool item to kind of focus on. Just like the ice cream from the Peppermint Wizard, it's something odd, but Cardona makes it meaningful. So far, I'm not sure how to place this novel because the story's not over. That being said, my favorites are Volume 1 with the Manticore, Volume 7 um, with the Peppermint Wizard, and I like the fifth novel, um, The King of Distortion, more than this one right now. As of right now, I also do like Versus Imaginator more, but that's because it's a complete story. So I'll leave it at that for now. Oh, and I do like uh, Volume 6 more as well. Volume 4, I can't remember, and I probably need to reread. Um, so I can't really gauge that volume. But yeah, uh, now thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, once again, I want to thank the Threats to the World team for the translations. Obviously, I can't read any of these stories and make this content if it wasn't for them. Um, if you could leave a comment and a like, I would appreciate it. And feel free to check out Anime Echoes on Twitter for updates on the postage of the episodes. Now, the next episode, we'll be looking at the prologue and the first verse of Volume 9. I'll see you guys then. Thank you.